Hello and welcome to the First and Ten Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz, here in Bloomington, Indiana, and it's time to preview week eight of the Big Ten football season. A whole lot to talk about, including a developing story we're going to get to right off the bat of this program. But before we get to that, let me introduce somebody who is joining me from Columbus, Ohio. As always, his name is Reed Murray. Reed, what's going on? Hey, Patrick. You know, obviously in Columbus, there's a little bit of a buzz going about about this Penn State game. That's kind of been what a lot of my week has been focused on is, is uh, you know, thinking about this game. And I'm really excited to get into it in this episode, among other things. Absolutely. Just a, a huge, huge game in the horseshoe this weekend. It's going to be the focus of this episode eventually. But before we get to that and a whole lot of other Big Ten discussion, let's talk about the big news of the day, a developing story via Ross Dellinger of Yahoo Sports. The NCAA is investigating the University of Michigan's football program for alleged rule violations in regards to in-person scouting and sign stealing. It's a breaking, it's in breach rather of an NCAA bylaw, which reads off-campus in-person scouting of future opponents in the same season is prohibited. So the alleged violation is that Michigan sent scouts to games in person, which is a whole lot different than watching film of a team you really get a, a better feel for it plus you can you know steal signs which certainly helps read should this story be true should this be something that michigan did why did they do this what what kind of advantage does this give you when so far this season michigan has played a really weak schedule unless they're scouting illegally ohio state and penn state What's the point of this? They already have such a clear advantage over every team who's been on their schedule so far. This just feels like pointless cheating. Yeah, it's almost like you don't trust your athletes mm-hmm. because, I mean, this is a Michigan team. We we saw it last season or the last two seasons. They went to the playoff. They beat Ohio State. They won the Big Ten and, and all three of – or they, they did all three of those things in each of the last two seasons. I mean, this is a phenomenal Michigan team with phenomenal talent and great coaching. So it just seems like – it, it seems like you don't trust the product that you can't just win on that alone. And I think they can just win on that alone in a lot of circumstances. So it's really bizarre to me. You'd think, you know, it is a little bit surprising when you see any team is cheating, but when you see a team like, you know, maybe it's a, it's a team that's, you know, not an elite caliber team who's having a great season. You say, Oh, you know, that's why they're doing so well because they cheated, but it, it's just weird. Like the two time reigning conference champion is the one who's, who's allegedly, mm-hmm. I, I didn't make it clear, allegedly. Say cheating. allegedly, yeah. Um, the team that's allegedly cheating is the team that's been on top of the conference for the past two seasons. Something's not adding up. And when Michigan, basically every single channel, every single facet of their football program, their university, they really like to sell themselves as the bastion of integrity. Michigan is a school that does things the right way in sports. There was all this NIL talk about them and how Michigan only wants to do it the right way. And then you hear a story like this and you realize that should this be true, because it's all alleged at this point, it's kind of a bunch of BS and they're no better than anybody else. But Reed, I think that was an interesting point you brought up about the talent level of this Michigan team and, and the it feeling like it's kind of unnecessary for them to go to such great lengths. Well, look at the time we've seen something similar in the NFL with Spygate when the New England Patriots did a very similar thing back during their dynasty run and they had clearly the best team in the NFL. They won all their games except the Super Bowl back in 2007 when they were filming other teams practices, they were stealing signs, all this stuff. And it certainly helped them win a lot of games. Maybe, you know, didn't say this in the report, but maybe Michigan had been doing this longer than we thought. Maybe back in 2021, 22, there was some of this going on. 
it certainly was that way for the New England Patriots when the Spygate scandal broke. It, it went pretty deep, and uh, it helped them win a whole lot of games. So uh, the advantage I think that you get from this is clear. It definitely makes an impact on winning and losing. When you know the other team's signals, you know how to call a perfect defense. You know how to call a perfect offense. It, it certainly makes your job a lot easier as a coach because you're cheating. Again, this is all alleged. We don't know if this is true. But if this is true, I think this is a huge black eye on the Michigan football program, and the NCAA should handle it as uh, as such. It, it absolutely, I think, should not be treated lightly. I, I think at the very least a forfeiting of wins, if this is true, if not a more serious disciplining of the football program because these are very serious offenses that give them an unfair advantage. Reed, what do you think? Well, I want to talk real quickly just to make it clear um, about what the rules are, what is inbounds, what is out of bounds here, so to speak. I know you talked about, um, you know, the the off-campus in-person of a future opponent distinction. So I want to read this excerpt from a Washington Post story today. It says, there are no rules that specifically prohibit sign stealing, but off-campus in-person scouting of future opponents is prohibited by NCAA bylaw 11.6.1, which was enacted in 1994 as a cost-cutting measure. The 2023 NCAA football rulebook also said that um, any attempt to record either through audio or video means any signals given by an opposing player, coach, or other team personnel is prohibited, though it lists no punishment for violations. And I think that's the most interesting part. There's no specific punishment listed. I think some of this stuff in terms of sign stealing is a little bit of a gray area because if you think about signs in college football, I mean, a lot of times the signs that are being given are literal physical signs. And, you know, the picture of SpongeBob and the Green Bay Packers logo and a quesadilla on this poster board that they hold up on the sideline. And that's how they call their plays in a lot of, um, you know, in, in a lot of college football teams. And so what I think is interesting is that if Michigan is, is doing what, yeah, I think most people are going to assume that, you know, they're sending scouts inside these stadiums. They're taking a look at that. And, and that's not legal. But some of the signs that are being given, you can see on the TV broadcast because they're holding up these big physical signs. And so it's just interesting where when it comes to what you can and can't look at it and what can be on film and what can't. I think there is a little bit of gray area and uncertainty as to what's allowed just because of the nature of how signs are given mm-hmm. in college football nowadays. Yeah, but it's shady nonetheless. And let's keep in mind, Michigan is already under an NCAA investigation for three different violations as is right now, including Jim Harbaugh meeting with recruits during the COVID dead period, which is its own thing. So that's an unfair recruiting advantage. Plus there was the the suspension he already had for for these violations that was self-imposed by the school, the NCAA investigation still pending. In addition to that COVID dead period recruiting, they had too many coaches at a practice and uh, they were watching player workouts on Zoom, both of which are illegal. Those are kind of weird ones, but the, the recruiting violations seem uh, pretty cut and dry. And there was already the self-imposed suspension there for Harbaugh. Uh, but this on top of them, I think, is clearly the most serious violation of the bunch and the one that gave Michigan uh, the biggest upper hand on the field itself. And while there are no specific uh, punishments that are outlined for, for this violation, uh, the fact of the matter is it's still a very serious violation and it's cheating. It, it just is. Should this be true? It is cheating. And uh, I hope they get what's coming for them because it's not in the spirit of the game. It's not in the spirit of fairness and uh, it's wrong. You know, it's wrong. It just is. And uh, it's not fun when, when the other team has an unfair advantage like that beat, beat teams fair and square. You're Michigan. You, you can beat teams the, the old fashioned way. You don't have to cheat. 
I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I, again, cheating is not justified in any case, but it, it just does seem so odd that it is one of the powerhouses in the conference that's doing this. But yeah, I mean, it's it's if they are found to be in violation of these rules, and you know, it, it's it's not just a violation of rules; it's a violation of you know the spirit of the game and mm-hmm. the trust that you have with other members of your conference and. Uh, it would be a terrible look for Michigan if this does turn out to be true. Some of these accusations that are being made about them um, stealing signs in an illegal way. It would be a real black eye on the renaissance of this program under Jim Harbaugh in the last few years, to say the least. But let's talk about their game this week against Michigan State, where I think there will be some really interesting stakes on the line. Uh, we'll, We'll get to that in a minute. But before that, Reed, let's talk about some other things to watch for besides uh, Sparty's probably very, very, very anger-filled game against Michigan this week, now that we know what we allegedly know about the Michigan program. But, Reed, I'll let you start this one. What are you watching for this week? I'm watching for Rutgers bowl eligibility. If they beat your Indiana Hoosiers this Saturday, they will be bowl eligible. Um, Last time they did that, we talked about this earlier, it was a little bit of a Mickey Mouse way. It was during the COVID pandemic when A&M couldn't make their bowl game against Wake Forest. But before then, uh, it was – it was either 2015 or 2014, um, and it's just it's 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 kind of like Illinois last season. All of a sudden, being in the run for the Big Ten West, um, kind of I don't want to say out of nowhere because Shiana was a great coach, and you know some people did sort of believe in this Shiana sense, uh, however you want to call it. Um, last bowl game is 2014, by the way. Okay, uh, to clarify that. Um, but. It's finally coming to fruition. What some people thought was going to happen, and to others, it's a complete surprise. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's not. It, it's so close to finally coming to fruition. If they lose this Indiana game, their final four games are against Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State, and Maryland. They have a real so, chance of going five and seven, be, and they're not a touchdown yeah, favorite really in this game. This is a one-score game on, according to Vegas, at least. Yeah. Um. So, and I talked about this last episode. They're on bowl game watch. They're also on ranked watch. I think if they win this game, they'll be six and two. I don't think they'll deserve to be ranked, but some people will probably start putting them in their ballots and ranking them. So um, that is also something to keep an eye on. You rarely see a ranked Rutgers. So um, Rutgers all of a sudden shooting up the rankings in the Big Ten East standings and potentially in the uh, AP and student media polls. Last time we saw this in the Big Ten East read in my mind was the 2019 IU team that started six and two as well, kind of the beneficiaries of of a pretty easy schedule, including a a soft, super duper soft non-conference. And uh, then kind of had to play some, some good teams down the stretch, finished eight and four after starting six and two played Penn state. Well though. So it reminds me a little bit of that. And Hey, if that's what this season ends up being like for Rutgers, if they win seven games, maybe this year, that'd be something. And I think that's a, a great building block season for this program, particularly going into the new big 10 where they're not going to play Ohio state every year, not going to play Michigan every year, not going to play Penn state every year could be huge. So really a program defining game this week in Bloomington for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights read. That's absolutely something to keep an eye on all weekend long. All right, read this week for me, it's 25 point watch for Iowa. That's what I'm watching for. Uh, the Hawkeyes are three and a half point favorites this week against Minnesota. So uh, the now ranked Iowa Hawkeyes at six and one only coming in at number 24 in the country. I think they're a little bit better than that, but uh, Reed obviously coming into the season, the thought process was Brian Ferentz is probably the worst offensive coordinator uh, this side of, I don't know, 
the the galaxy, right? And the the goal for them to keep him employed, right, was 25 points a game. And they've been well under that average for the bulk of the season. They have only scored 25 points once all year long. It was against Michigan State. They won 26 to 16. Reed, this feels like one against a Minnesota team that's been reeling recently where Minnesota on defense, they have not been what we build them to be all year. I, I came into the season with Minnesota as my preseason Big Ten West champion because of their defense, and their defense has really struggled. They gave up 52 last week. They gave up a, a huge first half against uh, Louisiana Lafayette, and or two weeks ago it was against Michigan, actually. But uh, against Louisiana Lafayette, they gave up a huge first half and played well in the second half, but they gave up 37 to Northwestern, 31 to UNC. This is not as good of a Minnesota defense as we thought it was. Reed, I feel like Iowa has a chance, even without Eric Gall at tight end this week, he, he's done for the year, and that's one of their few actual weapons on offense. I feel like they've got a chance to finally get over that 25-point hump again for the first time in uh, three weeks. They've certainly got a chance, but I, I do actually still think that it's going to be a pretty significant challenge. Yeah, um, I do too. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it is something to it is something to watch for. It's not something I would bet on if I was a betting man. I feel the exact same way because at the end of the day, this is still the Iowa offense. But if there's going to be a time for them to do it, the time is right now. And I still think Iowa has a chance to not just a chance, but a really good chance to finish out the season undefeated the rest of the way with Minnesota, Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, and at Nebraska on tap. I mean, how funny would it be, Reed? for this team to finish 11 and one and then fire their offensive coordinator. That would be, I mean, it'd be really funny if they fired the head coach, which obviously isn't going to happen, but I feel like firing the offensive coordinator. Yeah. It's not something you see all the time when you go 11 and one, but I think it would be thoroughly justified. And anyone who knows anything about Iowa football would understand yes. it. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is 11 and one coming into the season for Iowa sounded shocking, just impossibly good. But right now, I think it's more realistic they go 11 and 1 than they go 9 and 3. Is that crazy? That's 100% reasonable and I agree with it. Yeah, a lot to watch for, a lot riding on these next few games for Iowa. I think it's a really easy schedule the rest of the way and they've got a legitimate chance to finish the season with just one loss going into Indianapolis where they're in the driver's seat right now after the win against Wisconsin to win the Big 10 West in its final year of existence. All right, Reed, next up, we've got our uniform matchup of the week. And I think this is a pretty clear one to me. You mentioned it to me earlier. I did not see that Michigan State, spoiler alert, who we're picking with Michigan in East Lansing, will be wearing their black uniforms, but they are. Reed, these uniforms are sweet. What do you think of them? I think they're awesome. And I believe this is the first black uniform Michigan State's ever worn. Um, I think it's a great uniform. Michigan has, has had some hit or miss alternates they had these awesome alternates about 10 years ago with a green jersey some i don't know if it was bronze or gold but one of the two trim with a lot of black in there as well those looked great and then of course recently yeah. the infamous neon uniform that just looked awful um and so i think now michigan state kind of has found a great stride and there have been a lot of great new uniforms in college football this year that's because nike is updating its template and oftentimes when they do a big template update people Teams who want to change their uniforms will just wait till the new template comes out. So that's why you see this overload of new uniforms this season. Michigan State, of course, did change the regular home and away set as well. Um, just sort of some subtle details fixed there. Or not fixed, but updated uh, on the new template. A nice um, little Greek shield pattern on the helmet and the sleeves. 
The black jersey, I think, is really cool. I think a lot of teams in college football try out the black nowadays. The black uniform is a really popular concept, and I think a lot of teams have failed with it. Michigan State hit a home run. Um, this uniform is awesome. I don't know what Michigan is going to be wearing because they haven't announced it on social media yet. Um, this season they've worn, in their two away games, they wore the all-white against Minnesota, and then they wore white jerseys with maize pants against Nebraska. I can see them pulling out the blue pants in this one. I can see them pulling out white or maize. Will be interesting, interesting to see, but I think a little all-black versus all-white would look cool. Either way, as much as I love Ohio State and Penn State's uniforms, this one is going to be my uniform matchup of the week, mainly because of Michigan State and what they're rolling out. Sparty and black under the lights is going to be awesome, Reed. Could not agree with you more. All right, next up, we've got our Sickos game of the week. And to me, this is a pretty clear one, Reed. It's a tradition unlike any other in the Big Ten West. It's the NU Bowl, Nebraska versus Northwestern. This one's going to be gross. What do you think of it, Reed? Um, Pretty much that. Uh, I want to say Nebraska to win. But, uh, I mean, we're, doing, we're going to do our full predictions later. This is just – both of these teams have been pretty inconsistent this year. It's just one of those – it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like just blindfolding and throwing a dart at the board to pick this one because we've seen some good games out of Northwestern. The Penn State game in particular um, makes me think that they could beat a, a lower-tier Big Ten West opponent and then the mm-hmm. Minnesota game as well. But then, you know, they barely beat the Howard Bison. So who knows on them? Nebraska, sort of the same way. They played a, a good game not, – not, not a good game, but they were close with Minnesota, who's on a similar level to Northwestern. But then, you know, they've gotten killed a few times this year. So – I might just have to do a little random number generator or something to pick this one. Flip a coin, heads it's Nebraska, tails it's Northwestern. Reed, craziest thing about this game is that the winner goes over 500 with an inside track potentially to get to a bowl game. Told me that going into the season. I, I don't think I'd believe you particularly for Northwestern. But here we are. College football's weird, and that's why we love it. It, uh, it doesn't get much better than this. And if you're a true sicko, you will be not just watching. You will be listening and hearing and understanding this Nebraska versus Northwestern game. Some might call it football heritage. I will go as far to say that. In the final year of the Big Ten West, you got to soak it in while you can because it doesn't get much more Big Ten West than this. All right, we're going to take a quick break here before we get into the rest of our Saturday slate breakdown, what you can expect across the Big Ten this weekend, including our game of the week, Ohio State and Penn State. So we'll be right back after this quick break. Stay tuned. Back here on the first and 10, ready to get into the rest of our week eight preview. All right, Reed, this is a big one. This is one of the games we have had circled on our calendars since the schedules came out. Ohio State, Penn State in Columbus. It's big noon kickoff. The Buckeyes have won 10 of the last 11 against Penn State, including six of the last seven. Last loss for Ohio State to Penn State. Blocked, Lions scoop it up. You might have heard it in the intro to this show once or twice. But this week, Ohio State is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. It's been a while since they've lost this game. Reed, I think the streak stays alive for Ohio State this week, but it's close. The final scheduled annual meeting between these two schools also, I I think, is going to add a little bit of wrinkle to this. This was not one of the rivalries the Big Ten is protecting going forward in the conference. This is going to be a fun one. So the final true annual meeting between Ohio State and Penn State, which, what is it? Yeah, I think Ohio State has won six or seven in a row, or maybe it's six of seven, whatever I said earlier, I believe is the stat. It's true. 10 of 11 is true, though. And the last loss was 2016. 
Ohio State has dominated this series. Don't let anybody fool you. Even though Penn State's given them some games, Ohio State has absolutely owned PSU for the last decade plus. And in the final game of this annual rivalry, crazy to say that, it feels like Ohio State's going to extend the lead read. Yeah, it's it's a really hard one to predict. I think four and a half is a phenomenal line as well because my prediction – well, actually, I, I don't want to get into the prediction yet. I want to talk about the game first, but um, my prediction straddles that line. Mine does too. Um, this one's so hard to predict because I feel like my take on the whole game is I think we can have a decent idea of what to expect from Penn State, and Ohio State is the more unpredictable element in this game, and I think they are the ones who are either going to win or lose. I don't think Penn State is going to do something unexpected and, you know, take over the game. I think they are more going to just sort of even keel. They are bringing to the table what they're going to bring to the table, and it's up to Ohio State to either win or lose based on what moments they create. Um, I was talking earlier this week on the Offscript podcast about some what are the mismatches or what are the matchups that I like or that I'm trying to focus on. And I've heard some people talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. versus the Penn State secondary and what that's going to look like and how, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. can kind of just take over. It doesn't matter who the secondary is. But I think it's not that simple because I think it's not just up to Marvin Harrison Jr. whether Ohio State has a good passing game or not. The quarterback is the most important part in the passing game. And I think his inconsistency this season makes it a big question going into this game. I think Kyle McCord proved against Notre Dame late in that game that he can have a game-winning moment. He can put that drive together and put the team on his back, but he's not going to do it every single time. It's not something that you can rely on that's undeniable that you just know Kyle McCord is going to do X, Y, and Z, and he's mm-hmm. going to save the game for Ohio State. It's something that's possible. It's in the bag of uh, – it's in the golf bag, but will that club be pulled out every single time? I don't know. And against the Penn State defensive line, I really am curious to see how Kyle McCord plays because Ohio State's offensive line was a big question going into the season. And I think they've stepped up the plate fairly well. I've been impressed by what they've done. But, you know, no offensive line is perfect, especially against all the weapons that Penn State has on the other side of the ball. And Kyle McCord has proven sometimes even with a clean pocket, he's been hesitant to get rid of the ball. Some of his passes have been off target and just generally dealing Dealing with pressure, it's it's sort of different. He and C.J. Stroud have struggled with dealing with pressure in different ways. Um, I think C.J. Stroud, his problem was he he couldn't get out of the pocket, and uh, oftentimes he would he would get sacked, and, and and it would just I felt like he dealt with pressure in, in not the best way. But McCord, he's proven an ability to get out of the pocket, but sometimes when he gets out of there, he still struggles to hit the receiver. Or when he, like I said, when he has the clean pocket, it's not the ball's not always there. Sometimes the ball is underthrown, things like that. Um, so I think a lot of this game hinges on Kyle McCord and a lot of it's going to hinge on Drew Aller, who, you know, despite now having a fair amount of experience as a Penn State starter, hasn't gone into a game this big yet. So I I think it really comes down to two quarterbacks who are stepping into a little bit of unfamiliar territory. I think it's a bit more familiar for McCord than it is for Aller, but still uh, a D-line like Penn State. You just don't see that every week. So I think the quarterbacks, you know, obviously the quarterback is always the the player to watch in any game, but especially in this one, I don't want to sound you know, cliche, but the quarterbacks are who you have to keep the biggest eye on. It absolutely is, Reed, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. First, I will give a quick shout-out uh, to you and to, to a good friend of the program, Matt Levine, over on your show, Off Script. If you want a full breakdown of this game from the Ohio State perspective, go give them a listen. It's, it's always a good time over on that show. But, Reed, you know the way I choose a competitive game when I'm in doubt, and I am in a little bit of doubt here because I think Penn State is really good. 
head coach, quarterback, home field advantage. Ohio State's at home. They get a point there. Head coach, I'm also going to go Ohio State. Let's talk about that real quick. Ryan Day has – people have gotten on Ryan Day's case for not winning a lot of big games, but he has won big games and a fair amount of them, including beating Penn State every single time he's faced them. James Franklin, when he's in a close game against a big-time opponent, it's famous. It's late-game James. We know they find a way to lose every single time. Why would I put my faith in him? I'll take Ryan Day as the head coach here. And then at quarterback, I think Drew Aller is a better player than Kyle McCord. But Kyle McCord, like you said, in that game against Notre Dame, proved that against a top-level team, especially a top-level defense, with a lot of pressure in the game, in the balance, he can make the plays necessary to win the game. And I think he's going to need to do something like that this week. I don't think it's going to be quite as dramatic as the Notre Dame game. I don't think it's going to come down to a last-second drive. But there will come a time in the fourth quarter when this game is close or this game is tied or Ohio State's down three points where Kyle McCord is going to get the ball in the 25-yard line and it's going to be time for Ohio State to go get six. And I think he can drive this team down the field and score because we've seen him do it before. And while Drew Aller's a great player, we've not seen him in this scenario before. We've not seen him in a game with this type of magnitude before. Kyle McCord has done it, and he's done it on the road in one of the toughest environments in the country. On my three patent, my patented, I'll trademark it, patent it, whatever I can do, my patented three decision scale read, it's 3-0 for Ohio State here. I think the Buckeyes are going to win. Ohio State 24, Penn State 20. That is your final score. You just keep picking the same score that I have. That's the oh, no. That I have. We didn't talk about this beforehand either. We didn't, no. We do this on uh, purpose so we don't pick the exact same thing. And sometimes it just happens anyway. Exactly. Um, I The line I saw in this game for over-under is 45 and a half. That's just a phenomenal line. Our picks both uh, are, are right beneath that under i think this one is going to be a slow paced game or maybe i don't know if that's the right way to put it but this is not going to be one of those shootouts where it's just like these high flying offenses it's, it's the score's 28 21 going into the half and you know this is going to be one similar to notre dame i don't think it'll be um what was it was it seven nothing going to half notre dame was it zero zero what was what was the halftime score of that one i think it was Three zero for Notre Dame. Game, I, I think Notre I Dame that... got a field goal in the first half. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe it was uh, zeros. No, it was three nothing Ohio State at the half. Three nothing Ohio State got the field goal. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to be one of those. I don't think it'll be quite that low scoring, but I do think this one. It's going to take some time for these teams to score. I think the defenses are going to show out in this one. Penn State has played a more conservative style of offense, and they've succeeded. Um, but you know th- they don't have these these lighted up type plays where they just, you know, throw the ball for 50 yards and and do sort of what CJ Stroud um, kind of patented with Ohio state last season and, and trace McSorley, if we want to make a Penn state reference was really known for there is these explosive plays. And mm-hmm. one of the plays I look back on in this game, you know, I've been doing a little bit of rewatching some old Ohio state Penn state games as I tend to do uh, before during the week of that game, because there's just so many great ones. You know, there was a play in the 2018 game, uh, the game Ohio State won 28-27 um, in Happy Valley. It was just a quick slant at, I think, Penn State's own five or four-yard line, and they took it to the house. 
Um, these type of plays are not what Penn State's been known for this season. So I think Penn State definitely is going to establish a slower pace in this one. And I think Ohio State is comfortable in that in that way. Last season, they were very much this team that's, that's, that's going to try and just have these high-flying offenses, high-scoring games, just explosiveness left and right. They grueled it out against Notre Dame, 17-14, 3-0 at the half. Um, Ohio State has become comfortable in this environment. I also think that the offensive play calling has improved as this season has gone on. And I thought some of the play calling against Purdue last week was great. There was some, some great play design that I was a big fan of. Um, I, I do think these two teams are, are going to keep it on the, on the lower end in terms of scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the D lines of both of these teams a lot. Ohio state's D line, I think will give Drew Eller some, some pressure that um, maybe he hasn't seen so far this season. And my, my prediction still is going to go Ohio state's way. Because I like what you're saying a lot about the the three tiered um, prediction mechanism that you have, and it often does work out. Not always, but it often does. Um, my take on this one is, despite all the Penn State brings to the table, because they do bring so much, um, it's more. It's kind of like how I've looked at Texas for a while. I want to see it before I can put my full faith in it. I want to see James Franklin actually go into a game like this against a big team and win a close one, because if he's going to win this one, it is going to have to be a close victory. You're not going to go into the shoe. I guess you are highly, highly unlikely to go into the shoe and blow Ohio state out. You have to win a close game against a great team. I, I haven't seen James Franklin do it yet, especially against Ohio state. Um, that's sort of been the team that that he's measured his program up against for a while. And, and he's yet to really prove that his team is at Ohio State level alone, let alone above it. Uh, I think it's possible, but I want to see it before I can put my faith in it. Sort of the same thing with Drew Aller, where we've seen that he's a, a good quarterback, but I want to see that he has this next level takeover a game against a great defense like Ohio State before I can put my full backing towards that. So um, Penn State, it's sort of a, uh, it's a prove a game for them. It's a put up or shut up sort of game. And I think Penn State, I think they'll have good playoff odds, even if they lose, it's just going to take um, beating Michigan. Yes. Sort of get into the playoff. But I think if the loser of this game can beat Michigan and win out, then I think they're in. So this is a game that has a lot of playoff implications, but I don't think it's a a win or go home game for either team. And finally, to sort of, I guess, more clearly enunciate the point I was making earlier about um, about Penn State sort of being at just how each team is approaching this game. I think Ohio State at its best is better than Penn State at its best. But... Ohio State is not always at its best. So I think it's a matter of will Ohio State perform at its highest level. That is what's going to determine who wins this game. My prediction is going to be yes, but I would not be shocked if the answer is no. Yep. All right, Reed. Real quick on this one. I I just want to mention, we both think this is going to end up being a pretty low-scoring game, and Vegas agrees. Last six meetings, all six Ohio State victories, that's not been the case. 39-38 Ohio State in 2017. 2018. 27-26 27-26 Ohio State, 2019, 28-17 Ohio State, 2020, 38-25 Ohio State, 2021, 33-24 Ohio State, and then in, in 2022, 44-31 in favor of Ohio State. So all of those go over that 45-and-a-half point cushion that we're seeing as, as the number circulated as the over-under this week. So that's something worth watching. I, I do think it'll still be a grinded out style game just because that's how both of these teams play, but definitely different compared to the history of this series. Yeah. And one thing I'll say that goes in Penn State's favor here is the last time Penn State did beat Ohio State, it was 24 21. And that is below that marker of that 45 and a half. So maybe for Penn State, you know, if we're, I don't think that the historical approach is always 
uh, the best in terms of predicting a game. But if you know, it, it is an important thing to consider. And last time Penn State beat Ohio State, it, it was one of those type of games. It wasn't this, you know, in the words of Tommy Devine, high shooting, high falutin matchup. Um, and so maybe that is Penn State's recipe for success. I think that is sort of the recipe for success for either team here. I think if it if it is a shootout, Ohio State wins. Um, and, but I think if it's a low scoring game, I see it more going either. It, it could go either or. Um, I I still like I said, Penn State has a great shot to win this one. But before I can predict it, I want to see them back it up, and uh, I haven't seen it yet. So Ohio State's my pick here, twenty four twenty at home. I feel the exact same way as you read. Could not agree more. Twenty four twenty is the same one I've got as well. Funny how that works out sometimes. Yeah, this is going to be an amazing game. We've all got it circled. Twelve o'clock on Fox. If you're not watching you better have a good excuse. And I've got a good excuse for why I won't be watching this game as actively as I'll be watching a different one or at a certain point, I'm sure that'll change. But also in the noon window, Indiana hosting Rutgers in Bloomington. Rutgers is a five-point favorite. You can get into this game for $13, Reed. And to be honest, you probably don't even have to pay that. You just show up to the gates and you say, I really want to go in. Somebody at the gate might say, why? But they'd say, oh, fine, come on in. You might as well. Somebody's got to be in the crowd for this one because I'm sure it'll thin out, although it'll be a beautiful Saturday afternoon in Bloomington. What's the point of watching this Indiana football team when they looked as pathetic as they did last week against Michigan? Question for Indiana, who's going to be the starting quarterback? We don't know at this point. Tom Allen says he has a starter but won't say who. We're still doing quarterback controversy in week eight. What a normal football team. The fact that they don't have this figured out yet or even just committed to one guy is insane. That's just a sign of a really dysfunctional locker room, in my opinion, and a head coach and a coaching staff that does not know what they're doing. We don't know who the starter is going to be at quarterback for IU between Brendan Sorsby, Taven Jackson, and the now healthy Dexter Williams, which if he's healthy, our guess would be Indiana would be running that option offense that actually worked down the stretch against Michigan State and Purdue last year. If it's Dexter Williams, I feel a little bit optimistic about IU's chances to hang in this one. If it's not, I don't. Regardless, Reed, I'm going to take Rutgers by 10 here. 31-21. I, I think the Scarlet Knights get their self, get themselves to a bowl game. I'm going to say Rutgers by 7. Um, I, I think Indiana hangs in this one, but I just feel like Rutgers has so much riding on this game, and Indiana at home really, to be honest, should have lost to Akron. So I feel like Rutgers, a step up from that. Um, I, I do just have more faith in Rutgers in this one, so I'm saying Scarlet Knights by 7. I'm intrigued uh, about the the Dexter Williams wrinkle to this for Indiana because if he plays and Indiana runs that option offense that beat Michigan State last season and played really well with Purdue for a quarter until Dexter Williams' knee exploded, if he is the same athlete that he was when we saw him on the field last season and he is the quarterback in this game, uh, then I think IU has a really good chance not only to hang but to potentially win this one if that option offense with him and with Jalen Lucas and uh, the other running backs looks like what it did this time last year when, when he was on the field and starting for IU to, towards the end of November. The question though, is would they run that offense again? Because there's a, believe it or not, a pretty good wide receiver room for this IU team. We saw the crazy catch that Omar Cooper made last week where he, he basically bent over backwards and did a flip and somehow landed both of his feet in bounds. This is a great receiver room for IU. I think it's definitely in the top half of the big 10 in terms of receiver talent. So running the option with a team like that feels like a bit of a waste, but it worked last year. And it was one of the few things that worked period last year for IU. But 
with a pretty easy schedule down the stretch and, and getting that Michigan game out of the way, Ohio State out of the way, Maryland out of the way, Louisville out of the way too, another ranked team. If that option offense works and the defense can play the way it did in a game like they did against Louisville or against Ohio State and hasn't completely given up like it looked like they did last week against Michigan, then maybe there's a chance for IU to turn the season around. Maybe I'm insane, but I think it's absolutely something worth keeping tabs on for this IU team. The option saves us all at one point in our lives, Reed. If you've played enough NCAA 14, you know that fact. That's true. That is my go-to in that game. You gotta, because every year in Dynasty, it feels like Navy or Georgia Tech ends up winning the national championship when you're like 10 years in, but that's its own issue. Uh, That's on noon, it's on BTN, and it's probably not worth watching if you only have one television because Penn State's playing Ohio State at that exact same time. I'll be there though, so uh, look for me in the crowd. You you might see me because there'll be about six people there by the end of the game. I'll have Ohio State, Penn State on my phone. All right. 3.30 window, Reed. This one's on NBC. pair of NBC games this week. No games on Peacock, which I I think is an interesting choice. It's Minnesota headed to Iowa at Kinnick Stadium. 24th-ranked Hawkeyes are 6-1. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites with a 30.5 over-under. That's low. Reed, is this the week Iowa gets to 25? We talked about it earlier. I say no. You say no but it still feels like Iowa wins this game. I'm going to take the Hawkeyes by six. Yeah, I say no to that 25 march again, but I'm going to say Iowa by 10 in this one. I'm going to go Hawkeyes 17, go for seven. I'll take them. Um, it's going to be weird. 19 to 13. I like that. This is a bit of a safety game. I feel safety game on this one, Reed. I'm, I'm definitely smelling safety game. I could see like a a Dan Orlovsky style run out of the back of the end zone safety. (laughs) I don't know. It's Kinnick. You never know what's going to happen, but I I do know one thing that's going to happen. And that is going to be an Iowa Hawkeye victory. That's three 30. That is on NBC. Also in the three 30 window, this one on FS one, Wisconsin and Illinois. Uh, The Badgers are only two and a half point favorites at Illinois. The Illini coming off a huge win against the Maryland Terrapins, a big upset Maryland on by this week. So we're not going to see them in action. Don't get to see how they respond, but we do see how Illinois responds. Reed, do the Illini keep rolling? Do they take advantage of the momentum from last week's win? Do they turn their season around or do they look like the same old Illinois from before the Maryland game? Well, I mean, Illinois does have some juice going into this one and Illinois in the past has given Wisconsin trouble, whether they win or not. I think they give them trouble again. I do not think they win the game, though. I'm going to say Wisconsin by seven. I've got Wisconsin by seven, too, and I think they do keep this one close. I think it's going to be very competitive. Brett Bielema, he's got some beef on on both sides with this one. I think Wisconsin fans have beef with him when he left for Arkansas, and it feels like Brett Bielema always is is kind of going for that make-it-personal angle, particularly in in this matchup, because I, I think some Wisconsin fans are still upset about the way things ended with his tenure so that's something worth keeping an eye on but beyond that just traditionally in this series it feels like Illinois has always given them problems except for in 2020 when we saw Wisconsin demolish them to the tune of five Graham Mertz touchdowns and gave everybody hope about Graham Mertz we were saying Graham Mertz for Heisman it was a whole thing 
But since then, Illinois has given Wisconsin some trouble. And this is not a good Wisconsin team. This is a Wisconsin team that struggled. This is a Wisconsin team uh, that I don't have a lot of faith in. Regardless, I think they get the job done in Champaign. That'll be 3.30 on FS1. 3.30 window as well. This one on BTN, the NU Bowl, Northwestern Nebraska in Lincoln. Reed, I could see this one going either way. Nebraska is an 11.5 point favorite, but that feels way too high. I think Northwestern absolutely covers it. I am going to take Nebraska by three. I think we get a good game here, a sloppy game. Both teams struggle, but Nebraska in the end finds the way to get over the hump and get over 500. Yeah, I'm going to say, you know, I threw my blindfolded dart at the dartboard and landed on Nebraska by three, strictly because they're the home team here. Um, and sometimes in these games, you just have to find some sort of reason like that to pick a winner. So I'm saying Nebraska by three. Nebraska by three. That is in 3.30 on BTN. 7.30 window, the lone night game this week in the Big Ten. On NBC, the Michigan Wolverines, second ranked, headed to East Lansing to take on the rival Michigan State Spartans. Paul Bunyan on the line. Michigan State obviously has struggled this year in Michigan. Hasn't. We talked about the cheating allegations against Michigan already. That's a big angle. Michigan State was notified of that earlier in the week. Michigan's a 24-point favorite regardless of how many signs they know. Reed, last time we saw these teams play in East Lansing, Kenneth Walker had the game of his life and upset the Wolverines, gave them their only loss of that regular season. And last time we saw these teams play against each other, period, there was a fight in the tunnel. What happens in this one, Reed? Well, I think this one, I mean, these games tend to be close, and we've seen some Michigan State teams that are not to Michigan's level either give Michigan trouble or win, thinking specifically. I mean, last season they they hung in for a little bit, but then in 2020 especially, that Michigan State team was nowhere. Well, actually, Michigan ended up being pretty bad that season, but still Michigan State uh, I don't think was at their level. They won that one in a big upset. So I think the rivalry in general can make this one closer than it should be. I think especially with all the bulletin board material that's going to be in Michigan State's facility, I think they can really keep this one close. At the end of the day, they are just not a good enough team to actually win, though. I think Michigan pulls away in the end and wins this one by 13. 13, that's tight. I've got Michigan by 21, but I do think Michigan State makes it chippy for a little bit. Uh, I I think that this is going to be a great crowd, an electric atmosphere. MSU fans always bring it for this game. I don't think it's going to be enough, though. I think Michigan's just straight up a better football team. And if Michigan State looked competent this year, I'd say they could hang in it into the fourth quarter, but they're not. And I think Michigan's going to have a pretty decently sized lead uh, throughout the second half of this one. Reed, do we see another fight this year? Um, I would hope no. But even before last season, there were some incidents before the game of Michigan players kicking up the grass on Michigan State's logo. And just generally, these two teams before the game tend to go at it. Um, I especially hope there's nothing after the game, mm-hmm. but I'll say, I'll say that th- there'll be a little bit of a scuffle or a scrum. Nothing, I think there will be some out. pushing and shoving is how I'll describe it. Yeah. Little, little after the bell kind of action. Uh, that's always something worth watching in this matchup. No love loss between Michigan and Michigan state. This one, seven 30 on NBC in East Lansing Reed, That'll do it for our show this week. You got anybody you want to shout out before we close this one out? Yeah, I'm going to give two shout-outs, one of which will be Adam Smith, the Blocko Ohio State Student Section's um, football director. He was a great interviewee for a story I'm putting out tonight. Uh, it'll be at thelantern.com. You can check that one out. And then another shout-out to Tyler Danberg, two-time guy. So a great call for the Ohio State-Purdue game last week on the road. I, I tuned into that one partly because uh, I just needed to hear the radio for a little bit. I was away from the TV. And then also because the Peacock broadcasters, to be completely honest, were, were nowhere near – Tyler Danberg's standard 
And so I had to hear a little bit of a, a better broadcast. He's also on the call this week against Penn State. Um, Going to wish him good luck for that call. And I probably won't be tuning in because I'll be in the stadium. But after the game, um, no matter who wins or what the defining moment of the game is, I'm excited to hear how he calls it. So shout out to Mr. Danberg. When you hear BIA associated with Ohio State, best in America, you think about defensive backs. But in my opinion, it's broadcasters when you've got broadcasters like Reed Murray and Tyler Danberg working at SGSR calling games. That's some great company right there. So shout out to him. Shout out to you. Uh, a couple of great broadcasters there. You got to call some Ohio State football earlier this read. That was fun. Earlier this year, Reed. That was fun to listen to. You did a great job. I feel like that should be shouted out as well. My other shout out, though, will go to another friend of the program here, a guy who's been on here a number of times throughout the years, Jack Calson, who was a long time, long time friend of this pod. I'm getting back in action with him on my other podcast. It's called On the Bubble. It's a national college basketball podcast, also a student media poll show. We talk college hoops, and we're just a couple weeks out from the college basketball season starting. I can't wait. If you follow college basketball, please go give us a listen. Uh, Shameless plug aside, I I think we do some great stuff, and Jack is extremely knowledgeable about about basketball. He's great on the mic, and uh, we're lucky enough to call him a good friend of both of ours. So shout out to him and shout out to On the Bubble. You can find it wherever you listen to this show. All right, Reed, anything else for you before we wrap this one up? Nothing over here. Nothing for me either. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your college football Saturday, no matter if you're watching from the stands, from your couch, or from somewhere else. We hope it's a good one. We'll catch you on Monday for a recap. But until then, for Reed Murray, my name is Patrick Feltz, and we will see you next time. Bye.